Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. And I'm Stacey Pollack. And today we are talking about gaining the attention of employers with our guest, Madeline Mann. Madeline Mann is an HR and recruiting leader who has built an audience of over half a million people and is known for her award-winning job search YouTube channel, Self-Made Millennial. That's right. We're talking to that Madeline Mann today. Her career coaching programs have led to thousands of success stories, and her work has been featured in Bloomberg, Business Insider, The New York Times, and more. Madeline is joining us from Los Angeles, California, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast, Madeline. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. So exciting. This has been a long time coming. Uh, yes, lots of people know you as self-made millennial. What else would you like people to know about you in terms of how you've come to this point in your career? Yeah, it's been a journey of, I was someone who found my dream career in human resources. I landed that job and I just felt like every day I was working in my genius zone. And at one point I was leading an HR department and I was the one who was handling the entire hiring process, A to Z, both communicating with, with candidates and then also in the background, speaking with hiring managers and leaders and there were so many things that clearly job seekers, if they only knew, they would be landing these jobs that they had been trying so hard to land. And so I started creating content to help people. I saw that out there, there wasn't a lot of content made for someone who's a learner like me, where I like it quick, I like it very actionable, and I like it kind of silly. And so I started putting out YouTube videos and since then, it has just snowballed into this incredible business, this incredible amount of success stories. And it's just been my life's passion. That's awesome. Isn't that like the, the that's like the dream right yeah. there. Seriously. What was, what was the first YouTube video you made? Do you remember? The first one was, Ooh, I believe I know. I think I know what the first three, that's interesting. I think there was one on your LinkedIn profile. Gotta love that one on informational interviews. And I think another one on just like workplace mistakes. Love it. Yeah. And I mean, I have followed your content for quite some time. It's been neat to see the evolution of that. And one of the things among all of those awesome topics that you like to talk about is around how to get an employer to respond or how to get on their radar. It's something that a lot of job seekers struggle with. Can you tell us why you think that is? So what has happened in the job search process is it's actually too accessible. Anyone, anywhere can apply online. And what's great is now, you know, we can apply to any job we want, but when you're on the employer side, it's an absolute avalanche of applications. And so knowing that literally anyone in the world can apply for this job. And often it's a lot of noise that these employers are hearing. It's so important that you cut through that noise because it's very easy to get lost in the crowd. Yeah. There's no question, right? There's, you see uh, an application or a posting goes up on LinkedIn and it lists the number of applicants for the role. And you're like, Oh, how did that get to high triple digits so quickly? <laughs> Yeah, that was posted three hours ago. What's going on? And I'll tell you right now, Mike, it is mostly about 80% of the people who apply to these jobs have not read the job description. I guarantee you that. And that's because I've been on the employer side. I see them and I, I put things on the job description that show me in their job application, whether or not they read the description. And so it's very, very noisy on the employer side. 
So Madeline, as an HR person myself, and also someone who has worked in recruitment for a little bit of time, I can definitely understand all those pains in terms of the amount of noise that comes in and people just not reading job descriptions at all. Um, and I, I'd love to know, just like off the top of your hand, what are some like really quick wins that you can recommend people to cut through that noise? Sure. I mean, just focus on humans, focus on interactions. Don't focus on applying, focus on how it's, I never want to hear, oh, I applied to 20 roles this week. That does, that means nothing to me. If you say, Hey, I talked to 20 people this week. That is how you land jobs. Move from applications to interactions. And when you say interactions, I, do you mean more like in person on LinkedIn? And I guess like, how do you mitigate that in COVID right now? Oh yeah. I mean, even before COVID, like almost all of my networking was virtual uh, because I believe going to one of these networking events where everyone there is looking for a job and whatnot, it's a very time consuming way to network. Really what you can do, what LinkedIn has made it super effortless to do, what Clubhouse has made it easy to do by just, you know, metaphorically walking into these rooms what so many Facebook communities have made it so easy to do is you can target people. You can target certain roles, companies, interests, and you can make meaningful connections with those folks directly just by reaching out to them. Yeah, that's, it takes a little bit of maybe for some people getting out of their comfort zone to pop into those spaces and really you know, feel like they deserve that space, but it is hugely beneficial. I love that idea of shifting from applications to interactions. That makes so much sense. In the midst of that competitive application process, um, you've kind of hinted at this a little bit already, but what are some other extra steps that people could be taking in order to catch the attention of employers? So it's so important to really understand why you're interested in that employer. And what I've found is when so many people reach out to employers, it's the same message. And often it starts out with, I have 10 years experience in this, and I am great for these reasons, and you should love me. And the first thing that the companies are actually looking for is, well, I can tell that you sent this message to 50 other companies. There's not, there's no reason that for me to believe that you're sincerely interested in us. And what a lot of people don't realize is that companies want people who want them. And so when you are making these interactions, when you're reaching out to companies, showing a genuine interest in that company with specific reasons. And if you can, if you tell me what the reason why you like that company, and if I can switch out their name for their competitor's name, that is a clue that you are not specific enough. Hmm. Okay. So that's really interesting. When you think about some people in sales would say, okay, I have some people that I need to get really personalized in my approach to, because there are people who could be really great possible leads for our company, uh, or for my business to pursue. And so it sounds like people could adopt as job seekers, that same kind of mindset where it's like, if we're going to take this really seriously, this role that I would love to have, there has to be some degree of personalization to it. Exactly. And, you know, I, I really don't believe in the high volume job search. If you are applying to hundreds, hundreds of positions, that means that you likely don't know what you want. So if you're, if you are, if you can fit hundreds and hundreds of positions, that probably means that, you know, you're going to need some narrowing because those people who really know what they want, they're like, okay, 
you know, here are maybe the, the 20 companies that I really want to go for. And here's the, the, the three different types of roles that I'm going to be pursuing and getting a little bit tighter and going for a bit more of a customized approach versus this, um, uh, I call it the resume spray version. People also call it spray and pray, uh, which is a little bit religious. So I don't usually go that direction, but uh, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that makes, makes total sense, right? Okay, so imagine that you have actually gained the attention of an employer. You are going through the beginning part of the interview process. You're now getting some attention. What else can you do at that point to maintain your position as a candidate who is really serious and really qualified and is taking this really seriously? I'm glad you're asking this, Mike, because a lot of people underestimate what happens between the interviews as actually part of the interview. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you a story. I, when I was leading the hiring process at a previous company, we would discuss things like this executive has been very scatterbrained with scheduling. He kind of keeps sending sending random emails without any punctuation. And, and he seems to be really, really confused about his his schedule. And we looked at each other and we thought, do we want to work with this guy? Do we want to work with someone who is, is this difficult to kind of figure things out with? And of course we didn't make a hiring decision based off of that interaction, but actually these moments of interaction between interviews gives a very interesting picture of what it would be like to work with them. Another example is uh, I once had someone who they were having trouble finding parking. Uh, and they sent me like to text with like all caps and like, so I'm like freaking out. Like, I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? Like help. And I was like, this is a very, you, you know, a scattered approach to someone who is going to be a project manager, who is going to have to have all the plates spinning at once. And there's gonna be a lot of things coming at her. Now, here's the thing. I brought this up in the interview debrief as, as saying, Hey, this is just a data point but she really had a hard time parking and also keeping her emotions under wraps um, and articulating her thoughts very well during that time. We did end up hiring her anyways, and she ended up being like that in the job. So it's, it's actually like the way we act can send very loud signals. And so really making sure that every correspondence, you're really keeping positivity, you're really being a clear communicator, um, really thinking through that of who you want to be, what is your brand, what impression do you want to leave, and making sure that's a part of every communication. That that makes me think of like there's a lot of parallels to like if you were going on some dates with people, you might be absolutely charming on a date, and then you come home and there's like a full stream of consciousness of texts on your screen, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> right. And you right. want to look the other way. You want to say, but, but he or she was so nice on the date, but you know, it really, it always puts that doubt in your mind and in hiring anything that indicates a risk companies back away. Mm -hmm. So we really can't indicate anything like that. Such a good, such a good <laughs> comparison. Let's talk about follow-up, follow-up, something that a lot of people feel a little bit icky about. Maybe they're like, Ooh, I'm going to annoy this person. If I keep trying to follow up with them. Can you talk about how this could be done in a way that's more effective for the job seeker? What some of the mind shifts might be for someone who has to get better at following up? Right. I would say following up is so effective 
Um, I, I released these follow-up email templates a couple of years ago. They're on the front page of my website, madelineman.com, if you want to see them. But they are the amount of emails I've gotten of, oh, wow, I used your follow-up emails and boom, 20 minutes later, they responded. And oh, wow, I just got unstuck and now I got the offer. What so many people don't realize is that the follow-up is welcome. They want to hire someone. They want to you know, close the book on, on this process. They're not, there's, it's not fun for them to, to let it drag out. And so when you follow up, it shows that you're eager, shows that you're passionate, shows that you take initiative and it helps them to refocus on the job search because believe it or not, whoever's hiring you, likely their full-time job isn't hiring. It's likely mm-hmm. doing something else, accomplishing other things. And so you are actually a helpful reminder to them. And so many of us get too shy and we think, oh no, but I mean, what, what's going to happen? You know, you've been ghosted and then, then they tell you you're not going to get the job. Okay. That, you know, or you could just never hear back and not get the job. So it's so important that we are following up because it is so widely appreciated. Did you want to jump on? Yeah, jump on it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I myself, you know, even in this most recent job application that I had, I was wavering between like, okay, it's a couple of days after when they said they were going to get back to me. Should I follow up? Should I not? And then I finally sent the follow up. And then within minutes, I got the response like, hey, just letting you know it's positive. Uh, but here's why we're making you wait. Uh, but that brings me to a question I have for you is how do you discern what is like a, an appropriate amount of follow-up and can you maybe show us like what an appropriate versus an inappropriate amount would look like? For sure, Stacy. So I would say that typically follow up about every five business days. So once a week following up three times is a safe amount. Now, sometimes I get bold. Sometimes I tell people to go to a fourth, a fifth. It depends on how good of a relationship you've built with that company mm-hmm. And if they've been interviewing with you, they see value in you. And I I don't know what it was for that situation, but there's a lot of things that have nothing to do with you for the reason why they are not getting back to you. If there's a product launch this month, there is, they just had two people quit. And so now they're having to pick up uh, the pieces, whatever it is, or they're going through a merger and this and that. There's so many things. So I really think that uh, those those two you know standards of, of five days and, and three times, I think is just, you can't go wrong with that. But I would, I would encourage you, maybe go a little bit, follow up a few more times if you feel like there is that rapport there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you is that that rule of thumb sort of every five business days, three times is definitely a good general plan for that situation. And like you, I also, you know, if you really, if you're a job seeker and you really want that role or you feel really drawn to it, don't be afraid to pursue a final response. Like until you're given a no, there can always be yes. And so you might as well get some kind of closure out of all of this. You've put a lot of work into it. So I love it. I love where you're going with that. People have really nothing to lose is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah. I'd also love to press you further on that. Can you share like what an inappropriate follow-up amount would look like just for people who maybe like don't quite get it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this I've seen, uh, people will listen to my stuff and be like, all right, Madeline, they told me they were going to get back to me in two weeks. I followed up within three days. I'm like, no, (laughs) like I know you're really eager and I, I hear you, but if they told you, Hey, we'll get back to you in two weeks, don't follow up before those two weeks have elapsed. 
just they 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 told you a timeline please respect that timeline it's not cute to be asking them really soon i think also there is this tone of hey did you get my last email like hey sorry to bother you hey am i out of the process basically this this tone of it's kind of negativity and you know what happens when the when the employer responds is that it's almost like you're putting guilt on the employer of you've taken a long time. Should you just, should you just reject me? And instead you really want to bring positivity because yeah, I think that so many people, they, they just kind of lead with that lead with the negativity. Hey, like you must've missed my other emails. No, keep it positive. Keep it snappy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's, Oh, just one extra fun one is the, uh, you didn't respond to my last message. That's it. Can, can you, okay, great. Um, next candidate, please. <laughs> right. Right. That's such a good one. If you were to just boil it all down to one thing, the idea of gaining the attention of an employer, Madeline, what do you think that one thing would be? I boil it down to persistence gets jobs. Persistence is attractive. It really shows that you're the type of employee who is not going to be someone who sits back and waits for something to happen, but that you go for it. Um, companies do want to know that you're very interested in them. You're, you're, pers- you're pursuing them really shows that. And so you really take the time to get to know their, their employees, to follow up, to really keep these multiple points of contact. Those are all signals to them because if it comes down to two candidates, both equally qualified, the company will always go for the person who they think wants the job more. And these are all indicators that you want the job more. Awesome. You speak from experience. I trust you on that. Yeah. I'd love to also hop on that question. So in terms of your practice and your business, what would you say is like the, the number one thing that people come to you with for help that, you know, after working with you, they're able to do X, Y, and Z better. The number one thing is they say, Madeline, I know I'm valuable. I know if I got these jobs, I would be a top performer and I would absolutely rock it. The problem is I can't articulate my value. I know I'm telling them things in the interview and I think it sounds good, but for some reason, I'm not letting that offer. For some reason, that, that resume just isn't getting onto their desk. And so what I do is I call helping people find the glory in their story. So what's so difficult is so many of us are, we are too close to our own story. It clouds our, our judgment. I call it sitting in the bottle and you can't read the label. So you're in there, you're in your story and the, the details that are important to you aren't necessarily important to the company. And so then someone like me, I can clearly see the label of your bottle. And I say, this is what you, what you should emphasize. Here is how you tell your story. And then they're able to finally articulate exactly what makes them valuable. And that's what gets people the job. The most qualified person doesn't land the job. It's the person who articulates their value the best. And that's what I work with people on. That's great. Definitely is a struggle. And Mike can attest to this. He's helped me a lot in the process of learning to articulate my value and even just sprucing up my resume to make it, you know, more reflective of who I am. And uh, I guess if you're not, fortunate enough to uh, work with you, what are some things that people can do to, I guess, like help them build their own stories and get to the root of their own value or any, do you have any like practices or activities people can engage in? 
Yeah, so I have something called the glory formula where it is really the process of first starting with the company. So many people start with themselves. What makes me great? What makes me special? What do I love about my story? No, first you start with the company and understand exactly what are the needs and the skills and what do they, what are they looking for to solve their problems? And then you build your story from that. And so, yeah, it, 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 there's like a whole process of G-L-O-R-Y, but really starting with that and understanding that we're starting from the company, not from your own personal experience. Hmm. I need to explore that more because I often am working with people where we kind of start with self and see how that might match to some of the things that they're looking at in terms of a target company list, if they have one, which I highly recommend you do have one at some point. Um, but I really like where you're starting it. it. It makes so much sense. How do people, could you shed light on how people could get to know the, I guess the, what's important to the company type information that they could go and base their story off of? Yeah. I mean, companies really put out a lot of this information and a lot of it, when we read job descriptions, we don't really see it. Like we, we miss a lot of these key things. Like when I'll read a job description, I'll be like, oh, they're really going to want you to emphasize that you'll get your hands dirty and that you're a self-starter. And they're like, what? Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. So there's actually so many gems in the job description. Um, maybe we can also link, I have at standoutresume.com. I have like a full webinar that people can watch and like see like a little bit more of the nitty gritty of how this works. Because yeah, I agree. Like it's so important that we kind of move away from what is great about me and more focused on what problems do I solve in the world that these companies are looking for solutions to. Cool. We will definitely put a link to that in the show notes without question. Love it. So I, you know, back in the day used to help people as well with resumes, interview prep, all that stuff. And I get a lot of people reach out to me who like, don't even know how to put a LinkedIn together. They're like super hesitant about putting anything on the internet so I guess, what's your advice for people who really shy away from using LinkedIn or who like, you know, will say like, oh, I don't want to be on the internet or I don't want to make a digital brand or I don't know how, like, how do you, I guess, like cut through that or and how do you encourage people to get started? Cause it can be very daunting. It is completely daunting, Stacey. I agree with that. I would say you have to know your why of why you're doing this. The people in my coaching program they're landing multiple interviews a week that they are not applying for. These are all companies finding them and asking them to interview. So while it is scary and intimidating and a lot of work, and also you can't just put anything on LinkedIn and get, get interviews. That's not the way it works. Like you really need to understand exactly the value add and how to make LinkedIn work for you. But the up upfront investment of focusing on your LinkedIn leads to you honestly, like never really having to job search again, if it's set up properly. And so I think it's so important to anytime you're scared, just do it scared. That's what I teach people like, okay, you're scared. Great. Do it. It's worth it. And, and what would you tell people who say like, oh, I don't even know what to post. I don't have anything to post. What do I, what would I even say? I hear this all the time. It's one of the biggest things that is so tough for people. And I, I have this program called LinkedIn for thought leaders where it kind of solves that. So what I found is when people join that program, they'd say, I 
am not an expert. I have, there's nothing new to say under the sun. And what I found is your journey is actually an amazing place to start because people like to relate to you. People like to see where you are. And if you're on a journey and they're on a similar journey, even if you, maybe you're just one step ahead of them, that is interesting to them to go along with that. And so, yeah, I found in the program, you know, and kind of giving people all these different topics and all that kind of stuff. And you'd be so surprised at how much value you can add to the world by, by sharing that doesn't have to do with you coming up with something new and innovative or being an expert. Love it. Yeah. And in theory, you should know yourself. Well, you might not immediately know yourself as well as you'd like to, but you can have a great depth of knowledge. You can be an expert on yourself and share that with the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So another question I have is thinking about, you know, when you're getting the job hunt going and you're looking at all your, your resume, your cover letter, it can feel very, very daunting to actually get started and to, to edit, to actually take something you're so like a piece of work that you're so close to and like make changes. How do you recommend people get started in that process? You know, like lucky for me, I had, you know, a great friend like Mike to look at my resume and say, here's where you're underselling yourself. But if you don't have somebody like that in your life, or you've never done that practice, how do you get started with that? Yeah, I think that it's really important to get advice from the right sources. I think a lot of advice out there is very outdated. Um, I know I got career advice from, you know, people who hadn't job searched in decades for a while there. And once I took that advice, I realized, wow, this is actually, this is outdated. So I think really being cautious about where you're getting your advice. Um, And then I also do think that having a coach, you know, joining a program, having a coach, I personally am a career strategist, help thousands of people land jobs. And I myself got a career coach when I was on the job search, because exactly what you're saying, we are sitting in the bottle. We can't read the label. We need help. I think that the job search should never be something you do alone because it is so emotional. It is so, you're making a high ticket sale. Someone is about to spend tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars on you. It's a high ticket sale. And how many of us are are equipped to make a high ticket sale? Uh, Very few of us. So it truly is important that we are not doing this in a silo. Yeah. And, and then to follow up on that, you mentioned sort of like outdated or, or different kinds of advice. Where do you land on cover letters? Because I feel like there's so much like differentiating, differentiating ideas on like, do you need a cover letter? Do you not need a cover letter? I personally don't submit them. I don't know if that's like a good or a bad thing. It's just what I've done. Um, but maybe other people are like, what do you think about that? Okay. So I have a strong opinion about cover letters. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think everyone does. Um, so I am highly pro cover letters. Uh, working at a company, like at more, working at small and medium-sized businesses, one of the driving factors was personality, passion, and really making sure that the person who was joining really was joining for, for that company in, in, in particular. Uh, I worked in the blockchain industry where it is a very complex technology, almost like when I was in the industry, very few people had that expertise. So we were often hiring based on potential that they will be really good in this industry versus having 10 years of blockchain experience that didn't really exist when I, when I was in that industry. And so what I found is I, 
if, you know, if someone was kind of on the edge, like I read their resume and I was like, mm, I could go, yes, I could go, no. And I read their, their cover letter and it specifically said why this company, why this industry, and, and maybe even filled in some of the blanks of, I know it seems like I'm not meant for this role, but here's my story of why it makes sense. I'd go, holy cow, top of the list. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I would, I would, you know, I, other people who are a little bit better suited just by the resume, if the cover letter spoke to that, because what I knew is that they would be much easier to train because they naturally were studying up on these things. They would be much easier to retain because we weren't able to pay top, top dollar. And so if you found that working in this like uh, amazing, like high uh, bleeding edge technology was really interesting to you, we could, we could retain you. So anyways, this is a long way to say that the cover letter can make or break your application if you're using it the right way. If you're using it to bridge the gap of where your experience might not quite tell the full story. If you're able to articulate exactly why this company is the right fit, then the cover letter can be absolutely amazing. Now, the cover letter isn't always read, um, but imagine if it's the difference between you not getting the interview or not, it can be really a compelling reason to write a cover letter. There's something there around just what I'm hearing you say is at some level, we're trying to reduce the amount of assumptions, negative assumptions that an employer could be making as they try and fill the gap with their own prejudices, biases, their own life stories, whatever. Um, and you have a little bit of a hand on the wheel here in the process. And if you don't grab it, then you're just kind of letting someone else take you for a ride. Any information that you don't give an employer, assume they're going to assume the worst thing. If there's an, a gap that's unexplained, they'll assume the worst thing. If you if you apparently were at every job for the last four jobs for only a year, they're going to assume the worst thing. Not that you know that that company was acquired and that one had layoffs and like it all had nothing to do with you. Would have stayed at all of them for ten plus years. All of those things, yeah. Anything that you do not bring up yourself, it will be assumed to be negative. So take control of the narrative. So this is not really on topic at all, more just a personal curiosity uh, because I myself too have a small little side biz, not nearly as uh, big as yours. So I'd love to hear about how you balance, you know, being a full-time HR director or leader while working this business. One of the good things about me building this side hustle alongside my HR career was I really found what I wanted to do in human resources. And it actually gave me energy and gave me inspiration for my side hustle. And so that is how I was able to build a sizable business while working full time, because I would finish my job and I would still have the energy to work on it and to, to then take all those things I learned and, and put it into, into the side business. And so it really was, it was a ton of time at the beginning, um, especially like I was doing all my own video editing. It was a lot, right? You, you first start where you try not to invest too much money in it. You invest time. And then over time, you, when you have it as a side hustle, you make different decisions than if it's a full-time thing. So, you know, I invested in help in like, you know, virtual assistant. I, I, I was automating things. And so it actually, uh, when I ended up leaving my job just a few months ago, I stepped into a business that was a bit possibly better structured than it would have been had I not had to make those like strong, like lines in the sand of, 
I'm going to take myself out of this equation. I'm going to automate it or outsource it. Do you find that maybe you're taking fewer sort of, um, making fewer bet the business type decisions when you have the security of something like a full-time job to fall back on? You don't really feel like you're under the same level of stress. Yeah. So I have never, I haven't, I haven't done that where I, where I'm just like going all in, uh, you know, without kind of that safety blanket. Well, I guess I am now, but I feel like I, I stepped out onto something that was very secure. Um, but I definitely think so. I did not monetize anything. I didn't make a dime. I was definitely in the negative for maybe two years Mm -hmm. of self-made millennial. I was just making content. I was just loving life. I was just building relationships. And what that did is that when I started monetizing, things ramped up very quickly for me. And so because I think that people knew I was coming from an authentic place, I was giving so much value. And it wasn't that I just needed to make sure that I, I made rent that month. It's like, okay, no, I can, I can enjoy this as a passion. And then the business can come later. Cool. Love that. Thanks so much for playing with us on all of these awesome questions. We've thrown some solid curveballs at you on this interview. We have some questions we like to ask of all of the people who come onto the show. The first of those is what's the most fun you've had in your career, Madeline? The most fun was when I worked at a company where I got to build the HR department from the ground up. They, they didn't really have values in place. They didn't have, uh, uh, traditions in place. They didn't have a lot of systems in place. And I was actually thinking about this. I was like, when was the last time I was like really blissfully happy. And I felt when I was building that and the people we were attracting at that company, those are the people who I still call up on a weekly basis to talk. And, and it was just, it was truly a masterpiece of an organization that I felt like I was one of the people holding the brush and it felt so good. So that was the most fun I ever had in my career. Okay. A lot of people, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of folks would say that there are certain risks that come with, you know, building out a career in general. What would you say is the biggest risk that you've ever taken and how did it turn out? Oh boy. You know, it's funny hearing that question. I think my husband would answer it for me differently because he's seen me do these big things and completely fail and and get up. But you know, what's so funny is like every quote risk I've taken, the repercussions of failing have not really been anything Mm -hmm. like maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I, my job, I lost the job or maybe I didn't make as much money as I hoped for. Or maybe someone said something, you know, that was inflammatory about me, but in the end it, it all, like nothing, none of it really, you know, you got to shoot for the stars and then you kind of land somewhere else. And so, yeah, it's funny that I don't really see me as being like very risky. I see myself as being very measured and I I fail a lot, but yeah, it's, it's, it all the, something happened. I think like when I was in high school that I just kind of stopped believing in risk as, Hmm. as something that was really colossal that I had to get over. Interesting. That is definitely not an answer that we've ever heard. And we've asked that question probably 60 plus times. So I appreciate you shedding light on that. That's, we could dive into that further. That'll be for another day, but I appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. Madeline, what's the best career advice that's ever been given to you? Oh boy. Um, I would say that 
comparison is the thief of joy. I believe that is a Theodore Roosevelt quote. And it really has helped me in that you just got to be a better version of yourself. You've got to be constantly in competition with yourself to a healthy degree. I think sometimes it, for me, it's a little unhealthy, um, but really just always wanting to be better. And when you see someone else succeeding, interpret it as not as you're failing, but that it's possible. Like if you see someone just like soaring to the sky and their podcast or whatnot, it's like, okay, if they did it in nine months, that means it's possible. That means it's possible for me to get that kind of gains or notoriety or, or whatever it is, or impact or whatever it is that you measure by. So I think that to me has helped me to be uh, a little bit more level-headed because it's so easy to compare yourself to others and it only gives you a downward spiral. That's great. You're Thank here. you for sharing that. And on that note, to wrap things up, where can people find you, Madeline, and connect with you? Yes. So find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash in slash Madeline man and uh, YouTube. So head over to YouTube, uh, self-made millennial on YouTube. And of course you can stop by my website, madelineman.com. Amazing. Madeline, as predicted, you have been an amazing fountain of knowledge and sharing a lot of awesome things with our dear listener today. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike and Stacey. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And yes. I just want to thank you too. There was one, one of your articles or videos I read that or watched that was super helpful was the one about having stories prepared before you go into the interview. That super helped me. So thanks for being here and thanks for all the content you share. Oh, so glad to hear it. My pleasure. There you go, dear listener. I think we can call it at that for this week on the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. And I'm Stacey Pollack. We hope you are well. We hope you'll join us again soon. And please check out Madeline Mann, self-made millennial. She's fantastic. Bye for now. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Career Builders Podcast. Do you know someone who takes their career seriously and would appreciate the show? Why not share it with them? You'll help your friend with their career development while helping us spread the message of TCBP. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks for your support, and we'll catch you again next week.